up front, this is probably going to be a whirlwind study tonight because this is our last Wednesday night. Next Wednesday night, we start our summer series, Speak with Speakers, and our brother, uh, brother Gooch is going to be here starting that, that off next Wednesday night. To, to begin the class tonight, I've asked Lonnie Sykes, if he would, to lead us in the opening prayer. So let's pray together. So back in Colossians chapter 2, I just want to go back and reference what Paul said to the church there at Colossae in uh, verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive, with persuasive words. Paul, we have already determined that Paul had not been to Colossae. He didn't start the church there. We're not real sure who did, but we do know that Epaphroditus, who was with Paul in Rome, was from there. And so... Uh, he may have had something to do with starting the church there at, at Colossae. I don't know. But Paul's concern about the church in Colossae is that he knows there's going to be false teachers who's going to come in behind the, the those who have preached the truth there and those who have been converted and try to turn them away from Christianity. And so this is what he's going to be talking about in chapter 3. He's going to be offering some encouragement there. So let's go back and try to finish up chapter 2, and we'll go into chapter 3. <clears throat> and what we see in chapter 2, begin with verse 16, is Paul's admonition to the, the Christians there at Colossae to hold fast to Jesus and hold fast to the truth that they have learned uh, from whoever was taught them. In verses 16 and 17, of chapter 2, he says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are shadows of things to come, but the substances of Christ. So once again, he says, These, these smooth-talking teachers who will come in behind us are going to try to persuade you that you are going to have to continue to keep the Jewish holiday. Now, you can be a Christian, but you're going to have to be circumcised and you're going to have to keep the Jewish holidays and so Paul said, look, don't let anybody deceive you. That's, that's not true. 
That is simply not true. So he said those things were part of the old law. You're not under the old law. Now you're in Christ. You're under a new law. And so he's going to spend some time encouraging them at Colossae to hold fast to the the truths they've learned in Christianity. He also offers this admonition to, uh, to, to have them avoid human practices. They needed to avoid. Look at verses 18 and 19. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. So he says that these, these false teachers will cheat you out of your Christianity, out of your salvation. If you, he said, and they're going to come to you with this, this smooth-talking false humility. They're going to sound good in what they're teaching right there, okay? He says, but, but they're going to bring some false ideas, too. They're going to bring in angel worship. They're going to talk to you about that. And they're also going to talk to you about something else, asceticism, we'll talk about in a few minutes. He says in verses 20 through 23, and it's an admonition, he says, since you have died with Christ, since you put on Christ in baptism, he said you ought to be putting to death all the practices that you are engaging in in the world. Look at verses 20 through 23. Therefore, if you, if you died with Christ, you could also put in, since you died with Christ at your baptism, <clears throat> therefore, since you died with Christ, from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you sus- subject yourselves to regulations <clears throat> such as do not touch or do not taste or do not handle, with all concern, with all concerns which perish with using according to the commandments and doctrines of men? And once again, Paul says these false teachers are going to come in and they're going to tell you that you need to be keeping special holidays. <clears throat> And he's going to talk to you about all these other things. And they're going to talk about certain rules and regulations about certain things you can touch and certain things you can eat. He says, that's, that's all part of the old law. That, you're not under that anymore. And he says, since you've been baptized into Christ, you have a new life. A new life where Christ is the head. And he's going to say in our chapter, next chapter, he's going to say, we need to wrap ourselves up in Christ. We need to, we need to be in so engaged in Christ that we look only to Christ for our principles and on how to live. So in, in, uh, in, verse, in chapter 3, beginning in chapter 3, uh, for the first four verses, Paul's going to talk about what this new life in Christ might look like. It's going to be kind of a definition of this new life. He says in verses 1 through 4, he says, to begin with, you need to seek the things which are above. In other words, you're going to put, he's going to talk later on about putting to death and putting away with all these practices that they were doing before they became Christians. Because remember, a lot of these were converts not from, not from Judaism, but from heathenism, from idol worshipers. And they were engaged in a lot of this stuff. And Paul says, you've got to put that behind you. Verses 1 through 4, chapter 3, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on... He said, you've got to get your thinking out of this world. 
You're a new person. You have a new life. It's in Christ. Set your mind on things of Christ. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So his, his definition of this new life says it all centers around Christ Jesus. It doesn't center around laws, and it doesn't center around holidays and things you should eat and things you shouldn't touch. It's, 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 it's a new law for us. It's a new law for us. In verses uh, 5 through 7 of chapter 3, he says you need to put to death all those things that were in your past, your immoral past. So he says, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. And then he starts to list these, these things, these sinful practices that many of them were engaged in. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Paul says when you were in the world, before you became a Christian, when you were practicing your idol worship, you were engaged in all these practices. And he says since you've been buried in baptism with Christ, since you have died to Christ, and now you're living this new life, you need to put your thoughts, put your focus, you need to make your aim to do nothing more than what Christ Jesus wants us to do and teach us how to live. So he's talking about this new life that they have in Christianity. In verses 8 and 9, he says we need to put off ungodly character. Put off ungodly character. He says, but now, now yourselves are to put off all those things. And he starts talking about some of the things that they had previously been engaged in. But also, when you look at these things, think about what you and I need to think about in living the Christian life today. He said you should put away anger, and you should put away wrath, and you should put away malice and blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. So again, Paul points out, you're, you're away from that life. You've become a Christian. You're living a better life. And in Christ, you need to focus on the things that Christ would have you to do. Where Christ is the head of the church, where Christ has set the rules. He died for the church. He shed his blood, making it possible for all men everywhere to be saved if they just come to obedience to Christ Jesus. So he said, put that stuff away from you. Put that stuff away from you because it's not going to do you any good. <clears throat> Verses 10 and 11, he says, talking about this new life, being renewed after the image of Christ <clears throat> and, and have put on... Uh, put on a new man. He says in verse 9, he says, do not lie to him. He says, since you have put, on this old, put off the old man, verse 10 says, now you put on this new man, this new man of Christianity, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is what? Christ is all and in all. What is your focus to be? Where should you put your focus? What should you be aiming for? We should be aiming to please Christ Jesus. We should be aiming to keep his commandments. We should be looking to see what he expects of the church. And we should be assembling with the saints on the first day of the week and remember his death, burial, and resurrection. 
And he said, you need to focus on these things because now you are a new person. A new person. We got to see that happen to a young lady last Wednesday night right here in this auditorium. A person put on Christ in baptism. What a wonderful thing to begin that new life, to walk in that new life. Verses 12 through 14 says, as he's still talking about this new life in Christ, he says, you need to put, put on godly qualities. As we, ser- as we seek to serve Jesus, as we seek to be like Jesus, he said, we should be also putting and clothing ourselves, wrapping ourselves up in godly qualities. Listen to verse 12 through 14. Therefore, as, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on your tender mercies, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has to complain against his neighbor, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Godly qualities. Christ-like qualities, as we try to live the Christian life and we try to imitate Christ, then we're going to be thinking about how we should be kind to people and how we should be merciful as God was merciful to us and how that we should be um, uh, quick to forgive. And, 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 and then he talks about being slow to anger. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, he said, we need to be holy, all right? And beloved, but put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, and he says in verse 13, bearing with one another. So it's that part of that new Christian life that we have is sharing with our brothers and sisters their burdens and helping them through difficult times. Bearing with one another. And also forgiving one another. You know, we're taught in the New Testament, of course, that if we don't forgive others those things that they have against us, then God's not going to forgive us. So we, we have an example of forgiveness. Whenever we look at Jesus dying on the cross, it's to forgive men of the whole world their sins. That's our example that we have to follow. We, we, we cannot hold things against people and not forgive people if they do things against us. And he says in verse 14, he said, all of those things are important. All those godly attributes are great. But he said, the thing you need to hold on to and work on the most is love. It's love. Sounds like 1 Corinthians chapter 13, doesn't it? Faith, hope, and mercy, but the greatest of these is love, right? So we want to think about that. Paul, Paul writes about that quite often in his letters. So he says, you want to, you want to, you, which is the bond of perfection. Whenever we think about love, we, we really, what is the definition? God is love, right? And his example to us as humans his example of that love was giving his only son, which, who, by the way, was the only sacrifice acceptable to help man be free from his sins, was the blood of Jesus Christ. That's an example of perfect love, one for another. So when you think about this, about this new life that we live in Christ, what should our response be? What should the, the response be of those in Colossae? Look at verses 13, verse 15. He said, if, 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 if our response is right, then what we should receive for that is peace. Look at verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. And be thankful. So the God of peace is the only one who can give us peace. 
So our response to this life in Christ, our response to this Christian life is to seek the peace that only God can provide, to seek that peace from Him and let Him rule in our hearts and, and also at the same time be thankful for all the good things and all the blessings that we have through Jesus Christ. What else? He says, well, our response to Jesus should also be our worship to Him. Our worship to Him. In our worship to Him, if it's truly from the heart and it's the way it should be, it's going to glorify God. Look at the next verse. Uh, in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What is our response to Jesus? Is to serve God. Our response to Jesus is to worship God and to love Jesus, his son, for all that he's done for us and praise him in song. And this is exactly what we, we do today in our worship services. Finally, he says in verse 17, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You notice every time... Paul talks to them about what they should be doing. For instance, whatever you do in word of deed, do all in the name of Christ, of the Lord Jesus. What? Giving thanks to God. Giving thanks to God. Because what? God was the one who provided the sacrifice. God was the one who allowed Jesus to come to the cross and suffer and die for us. From the very foundation of time, from the very beginning of time, God knew it was going to take a sacrifice like that to save man from his sins. God knew that. And he allowed that to happen. So Paul says, you, you thank God. You think as we serve Jesus, as we worship Jesus, as we strive to be like Jesus, as we worship in the church, enjoy this new life in Christianity, thank God. It's only because of his love for us that we have opportunity to do that today. We should still be thanking God. Beginning in verse 18 of chapter 3, Paul starts talking about some relationships that we should have with one another. He starts with talking about husbands' relationships to wives. Look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. We also think about what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and over, over in Ephesians chapter 5. What, what verse is that? Ephesians chapter 5 is verse 22. Yes, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Once again, we talk about that Christian life, uh, our striving to be like Christ. He says, one of, the one of the good relationships we should establish in the life is the relationships between husband and wife. So, he says, Wives, he says, you're in submission to your husband. You're not, you're not doormats. Your partners, they're to walk beside your side. So wives, submit to your own husbands. Why? Because this is fitting in the Lord. He also talks about husbands' relationship to the wives in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. How do we treat our wives? With kindness, with meekness, with love, with, with forgiveness, with, with the desire to do everything we can to make their life as best as it can be. So husbands, love your wives. 
And he says, and do not be bitter towards them. He goes on talking about relationships in verse 20. He says, what about children? Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. <clears throat> in another place, when Paul is writing about this uh, relationship, he says, that your days may be long upon the earth. <clears throat> children, obey your parents, that your days may be long upon the earth. So if that relationship is right, Children will obey parents, right? And, 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 and they probably have to be reminded of this from time to time. I, I don't know about telling a child that just one time. Children, you need to obey your parents and let it go. No, I think you have to constantly remind our children, you need to obey your parents because this is the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do. Verse 22 through 25 talks about relationships of slaves to masters. He says, bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasures, but as in sincerity of heart fearing God. That whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance for your service to the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. He goes on in verse four, chapter, chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, give your bondservants that which you have also... Uh, masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So he's talking about these relationships, and, and it's probably a good thing that Paul is writing to the church at Colossae talking about these relationships. Do you suppose that... They had ever heard about these relationships and, and their religious practices where they were worshiping idols? I doubt it. I doubt it. And even the person who brought the truth to the church at Colossae probably didn't have the time to spend to talk about all these different relationships. Christians need to hear this. We have responsibilities. We have obligations. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, children to parents. Fathers to children, in verse 21, I left that one out. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. As parents, <clears throat> as parents, we have to be fair with our children. We have to be just. We have to be patient. And we have to keep telling them they need to obey their parents too from time to time, right? So but we should not be provoking our children. We shouldn't be intentionally aggravating our children, making our children angry or driving our children away from us. That's just the wrong thing to do. So he enters chapter 4. Chapter 4, the last, the last book in Colossians there, the last chapter there, uh, Paul makes a lot, a, a lot of recognition. He recognizes a lot of people. He has a lot of people to thank. People who are with him there in Roman prison. People who he, he sends back to Colossae. He wants to thank people that he knows in Colossae. Even though he hasn't been there, he knows some of the saints that live there and makes mention of them in chapter 4. Listen to this. So in verses 2 through 6, he just has some admonitions. And the first thing he talks about is their prayer life, is their prayer life. Look, chapter 4, verse 2 through 4. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in, all, uh, in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open the door, open to us the door for the world, uh, for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make 
it manifest as, it, as I ought to speak. So first off, he talks about their prayer life, the prayer life of the saints there in Colossae. He says, you need to be steadfast and earnest in your prayer life. You need to continue earnestly in your prayer. You need to be vigilant. You need to be watchful. Your prayers should be specific about certain things. Not in general all the time, but it doesn't hurt. He says you need to pray about certain things that you want. You need to remember to thank God in your prayers. Always thanking God for what he's did. He's talked about this already in chapter 3. Always thanking God for the things that he's provided for us in this life. So it, it, that prayer life is not something we do just on Sunday morning or just at night before we go to bed or just at mealtime, but he says continue all the time. Keep a prayer on your lips. Be thinking about those who are in need of your prayers and how you can help them out. But then he also says in verse 3, and don't forget about me and my chains. He says, in your prayer life, think about me. Meanwhile, praying also for us to God. What for? So that they can be free of their chains? No, that's not what Paul says. He says, I'm not asking you to pray to free me from my bondage. What I'm asking you to do is pray that God will open the doors to people to hear the gospel so that I can continue to preach and I can continue to teach. He says in verse 3, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. He's talked about this mystery before in this book. He's talked about this mystery, this mystery that brings the gospel to the Gentiles. That's the mystery, right? How that they were excluded from the old law. They were excluded from Judaism, but now they're welcomed into the church through the blood of Christ. He says, so remember that, be thankful for that. And he says in verse 4, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So Paul's praying for the opportunity. He's asking them to pray that he continues to have the opportunity to continue to teach the gospel. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Here he is in prison. And he's been in prison at least two years before he comes to Rome. Now he's been in prison for quite some time in this dungeon. He's chained or shackled or whatever you want to call it to a guard. He's in this dingy, dusty, dirty, damp prison, right? And he's still asking for the saints in Colossae to pray that he'll have the opportunity to what? Keep on teaching the truth. Wow. Keep on teaching the truth. In verses 5 and 6 of chapter 4, he says, his final remarks include acts wisely towards, we should act wisely towards outsiders. Verses 4 and 5. He says, uh, I'm sorry, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each other. Sounds like good advice to me, doesn't it, to you? Good advice. You know, we have to understand that our, our world is not wrapped up entirely in the church. We live in the world, right? We live in the world. People in the world are going to see us. They're going to see how you live your life and how we conduct ourselves and how we talk to people and how we treat people. And they're going to judge the church by looking at us. So he says, walk in wisdom towards those who are on the outside because what? They're looking at you. 
They're looking at you and they may be saying something like, do I really want to be a part of a church that does that? Or are they saying, I really want to be a part of a church that does that? They're looking at us, they're judging us. So he says, walk in wisdom towards those on the outside. And then he says, redeeming the time. You got to make it count. We only have so much time in this life, right? So we got to live our lives in such a way that we influence people. We start with influencing our families and our friends. By the life that we live, hopefully, we will redeem the time. We will make good use of our time in serving God. And then he says, think about what you say and how you say it. That's always good advice, isn't it? I teach a communications class where I work. And I tell people all the time about communication. Communication is a whole lot more than just the words that you speak. That's only part of it. The words that you use only make up part of it. What makes up the biggest part of the message is the tone of your voice. Do the people hear sincerity in your voice? They hear love in your voice? They hear concern in your voice? And then your body language. So he says, let your speech always be, Paul says, look, with grace. With grace. We should exemplify Jesus in our lives with the grace that we have for those in the outside world, right? As we talk to those in the outside world, as we live our life, as they are judging us, they should look at our life and say, something is different about the way that person is living his life. And I like it. In fact, I really would like to know more about it. So he says, let your speech always be with grace. And then he said, sometimes you need to season those things that you say with salt. I think what he's actually saying, sometimes you need to think about what you're going to say before you say it. And then you need to ask yourself this question, does it really need to be said? Maybe it's something that doesn't need to be said at all. Maybe it's just going to cause problems. Maybe it's going to cause strife. Maybe it's not exact the truth. Maybe it's not the whole truth. So sometimes we just need to think about what we're going to say and then decide whether really it needs to be said or not. But then if it does, if it does need to be saved, we say it with love. We say it with grace. We say it with, with the tenderness of heart. And, and so sometimes we have to say hurtful words. We do. And, and, but we still need to do that with kindness in our hearts and love on, on our hearts. We need to say it in such a way as not to drive people away, but to bring people in helping them to see that this is the life that we should all strive to have together. So, in verses 7 through 9 of chapter 4, he leaves instructions and he leaves, leaves commendations. Instructions and commendations. Look at verse 7. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. So, apparently, Tychicus is there with Paul in Rome. I don't know, I don't know in what exact what capacity he's there, but he's been helping Paul. Okay, Paul says he's a faithful servant. He's a faithful minister. He says he's a beloved brother. He's a fellow servant in the Lord. And he said, what Tychicus is going to do when he gets there, he's going to tell you about what's been going on in my life. He's going to tell you about my imprisonment and what's been going on. He says, all the news about me. So that's one thing he's going to do. It says in verse 8, I'm sending him to you for that purpose. It's, it's no doubt 
But what, even though the, the Christians in Colossae haven't met Paul, most of them, Paul did know some of them, but most of them didn't know Paul. They had never met Paul. But they're concerned about Paul. Why? Well, because he's an apostle. Because he's in chains. Because he may be battling actually for his very life. And they're concerned about him. The great apostle Paul. And so he writes this letter. He says, I'm going to send Tychicus down there. He's going to kind of catch you up on what's going on. And that's what he's coming for. But he says that he may know your circumstances. So not only is Tychicus going to report on Paul, he's also going to find out what's going on at the church at Colossae and report that back to Paul. And I'm sure he's going to say something like, Paul, they got your letter. Boy, were they glad to hear from you. All the encouragement you gave them about the new life in Christ, about how they continue to stand strong, how they continue to live in Christ, and how they should put to death all their former members in their former lives. Paul, that was such an encouragement to us, those at Colossae, and they want to thank you for that. So the, the commendation he, he gives there, okay? Um, in verse 9, he, he's going to bring in uh, another commendation, and it's going to be towards one called Onesimus. Onesimus. Onesimus, we know, was the runaway slave of Philemon. Okay? In fact, whenever Paul writes to Philemon in a, in a little bit later chapter, he's going to talk about Onesimus, how that he is actually converted by Paul, apparently, when Paul's in Rome, in prison. Onesimus comes to know the Lord. Verse 9, With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. So I, I kind of think maybe, and I don't know if this is right, I'm thinking that Tychicus and Onesimus are traveling together. They're traveling together, sent from Paul to find out how things are going on at Colossae, and, and, and they're going to report back to Paul somehow or another about the letter that he's written and how they received it and how hopefully they're going to be encouraged by that letter. He says, but they're going to make known to you all the things which are happening here. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You stop and think, well, Paul, what, what, what could be happening? You're in prison. So I don't imagine a whole lot's happening, right? But that's not true. Because remember, the whole time Paul's in prison, the times that he's chained to guards, what's he doing? He's teaching. He's teaching these guards. We find out later on that his teachings even get into the house of Caesar. And, and some are undoubtedly converted to Christ. So, so there's a lot going on, Paul. Uh, you know, and, and, and when we read through the book of Philippians and studied it together, we talked about all, all the times that Paul talked about the joy. The whole time he's in prison, he's talking about being happy. He's happy that God has opened doors for him and given him opportunities to preach and teach the gospel. And he's thankful for that. He is very thankful. How are we doing on time? Got a few more minutes. Okay. Uh, beginning in verse 10, verse 10, we, we find Paul offering some greetings and making some final remarks as he gets ready to close this letter. In verse 10, he says... Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom ye received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So uh, Paul's talking about uh, his, his, some of the people who's there with him or has been with him while he's in prison. And he says uh, some of these same people 
also sends you greetings. They want to say hello. They want to welcome you. They want to talk to you and tell you about being to Christ and how being a Christian, how important it is to be in Christ and encourage them also. He says that our, 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 our Aristarchus, Aristarchus, easy for you to say, right? Um, he said he's a fellow prisoner. So it almost sounds like he might have been in chains in prison with Paul. Sounds kind of like that. He's a fellow prisoner, right? Uh, and, then a, and then he says Mark. Now, where have we heard about Mark before? John Mark, if you remember John Mark, was, was one of Paul's traveling companions and was it the first missionary journey? But whenever they got ready to go on the second missionary journey, he and Paul and John Mark have a falling out. And, and that was because Mark had turned back somewhere along the way on the first missionary journey and didn't complete it. So they kind of have a falling out, but it's kind of good to see right here in this letter that they've come back together. And Paul speaks very highly of John Mark. He speaks very highly. What does he say? He says, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, he said, you welcome him. You greet him. You wish him well. You provide him whatever he might need so that he can continue his journey, on his journey. I, it, it sounds to me like uh, he, Paul doesn't know for sure if Mark is actually going to go. He says, because he says, um, if, if he comes to you, if he comes to you, Paul doesn't really know if, if Mark's going to make that or not. But if he does, you welcome him like the brother he is. He's been a good servant to me and helped me in my time of, of captivity here. In verses 12 through 14, he has some greetings for some fellow uh, Gentile Christians. He says, verse 12 through 14, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, for those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the, phys the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So Epaphras, he says, he is, he is one of you. He is one of you. Uh, Epaphras, Epaphroditus is the same person. It's, Epaphras is just a shortened version of that, okay? I, I believe that's true. So he says, he's one of you. He is the bondservant of Christ. He greets you. He's been working real hard for you in his prayers, praying for you. And he says, what is he praying for? That you can stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So he's praying and for the saints there that they'll stand firm in the truths that they've been taught when they're trying to live a life for Christ. He says, don't listen to mankind. Don't listen to those false teachers. You stay faithful to the course. Stay faithful to try to serve the Lord. And then he goes on and he mentions Luke, the physician. Um, Luke has, has been helping Paul probably with medical situations there in prison in Rome. Uh, and and he, you know, he is the physician and, and, and uh, he is of great help to them. In verses 15, down he says, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in, her ha in his house. Isn't, there's a little bit of a discrepancy about that. What do your Bible say? And whose house is it? 
Is Nympha's house, is it whose house? Is it his house or her house? Some versions say his house. The New King James Version says his house. Other versions say Nympha's is the lady. So I, I don't know. I don't know, but I just want you to know that there is that. But whoever it is, whether it's a male or a female, it doesn't really matter, the church is meeting in their house. And that's not uncommon at all. Remember uh, Lydia, the seller of purple? When she's converted in Philippi, she says to Paul on his missionary journey, if you find me faithful, come and stay at my house. She owns a house, okay? Uh, so uh, it wasn't uncommon for Paul to have all these, these, these women believers who are following him and taking good care of him. So he's just mentioning this, that uh, he wants them to greet, uh, greet this, this brother or this sister, whoever it is, uh, also, and thank them for the use of their house where the church can meet. In verse 16, he says, Now when the epistle is read, whenever this letter is read among you, see that it is also read to the church at Laodicea, in the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So Paul says, I want you to share this message. If you look at a map and see where Erapolis, Laodicea are, uh, and where Colossae is, they're, they're actually all pretty close together in a little triangle there, right? And they're just a few miles apart, so it's not unusual that the saints in one place would know saints in the other place. They could travel back and forth. It was not impossible. So Paul says, when you get this letter, this letter that he's writing, this letter to the Colossians, he says, you take it over and be sure that the church at Laodicea gets to hear it also. Why? Because those saints need encouragement also. Those, those saints need to be encouraged. They need to be talked to about the life that they've chosen to live, this new life in Christ. And Paul wants them to have, have the opportunity to hear this. But he says something interesting, too. He said, you also need to read the letter that was written to them. Anybody remember reading from the book of Laodicea? I don't. Don't know about that letter. Don't know about the letter Paul wrote to the church there at Laodicea. But Paul mentions it, so it had to have been another one. But it wasn't part of the canon, apparently. It wasn't one of those books that need to be recorded for our learning today. But Paul says, share, share the good news, okay? You take the good things from your report and share it with them, and you at the same time take the things, those good things that was written to them, and you share it with your brothers and sisters there in the church at, at Colossae also. Coming to the last couple of verses as we end the class here, it says, and say to Archippus, take, uh, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it, and then the final verse is, This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you. Amen. I, I don't know what's going on with uh, Archippus. I don't know why Paul felt like he needed to be encouraged. But Paul says, You need to, you need to stay faithful to the ministry that was given you to do. He says, Take heed to that ministry. And he said, you need to fulfill it. You need to complete it. But it was perhaps that he had started it, and, and for some reason or another, he's not making progress as he should. Paul hears about that, and he says, when you see him, tell him to get back on track. 
to get back on track, to continue doing the work that he was assigned to do. And then he says, finally, he says, I'm, I'm signing off on this letter. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ in Rome, am signing off on this letter. So grace be with you all. Amen. And he comes to the end of the chapter. And I come to the end of the class. So any comments, thoughts, concerns you have to talk about before we actually end the class and wait for the other classes to come in? I did warn you ahead of time it was going to be a whirlwind class, right? I, I did say that. I think I said, okay. Anyway, I've enjoyed the study to spend the time with you. Glad that you were here tonight. Our other classes will be coming in shortly to, uh, for the devotional.